Every time I do these Twitter Tuesdays, I always feel like I'm rushing at the end to get to all of your questions, and I feel like I can't give some questions they're due, but let's fix that today. It's a long-form episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, Twitter Tuesday. You like it on three, one, two, three, you like it! You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Luke Braun, and let's find some joy today. You can find this show wherever you find your favorite podcasts, whether it is SiriusXM, uh, the SiriusXM app, you can find it there, which is pretty cool. You can find any other audio platform, YouTube, or even Amazon Fire or Roku, just download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Thank you so much to those of you who do listen to this show every single day, including uh, some of these pre-recorded episodes, which is what this is. So I apologize profusely if there is some major, if Justin Jefferson got an extension over the weekend and I haven't covered it yet. I'm out of town. Uh, and so I will get to it next week, whatever it is, if there is anything, or if not, then I guess I you probably wouldn't have even noticed. But uh, it is... Twitter Tuesday anyways, and so I put out a call for questions. These are your questions from last week, so maybe they'd be a little out of date, but probably not at the end of June. I don't know, he said, uh, ki- kissing it to death, <laughs> kiss of deathing it, monkey's paw curls. Anyways, I only have a couple of questions in front of me right now. I, I usually take down as many as I can. I try to rush through them, but for now, some of these questions require, I think, a little more TLC, and so let's spend the time we have on them. The first one comes from C. Woodbury, who asks, what can we expect from the other corners? Are Joe Williams and Kalon Barnes ready to step up? Uh, what level of confidence should we have in the rookie cornerbacks? So a couple of parts to this. I believe this was asked the day, this this was sent in an email the day I put out the uh, Caleb Evans versus Andrew Booth one. Um, so we're not talking about those guys. And also Byron Murphy. We kind of know Byron Murphy is, you know, CB1. And I, I've spoken in the past. I feel good about him as a CB1. I think that he can shadow generally. There are certain points at which his athleticism will be taken advantage of. But you have to be like a very specific kind of offense with a very specific kind of receiver and a quarterback that can pay all that stuff off. And that's not a, a combination you find a lot in the league. And when you do, that kind of beats everything. So I'm not... um overly concerned about it. He's not the best CB1 in the world. There will be points where he gets beat, where those flaws get exposed, but they will be rare enough where I feel good about it, him at at, at CB1. Beyond that, you have Evans and Booth. Spoke about that at length, which I think is, you're kind of asking about the other guys. So then you have the two rookies. I guess we'll start there. Makai Blackman. I have very little confidence in Makai Blackman. However, I might be wrong. He's getting reps with the ones. And when I did my Makai Blackman thing, I kind of said, okay, there's two outcomes here. If he does get reps with the ones, there's two reasons it could be. One, he picked up whatever they wanted to do with him immediately. And that's awesome. Or two, they're just okay with who he is as a player and they're just going to kind of let him be that guy. And that who he is as a player, I think, is a, a very um, overly eager to use a shuffle step kind of player. Uh, I think he's not very confident in his backpedal, and so he gets out of it really fast, and he can get himself in trouble that way. That gets him burned like bad against Stanford a couple times in his, his uh, year at USC. So either he fixed that immediately, which is awesome, or the Vikings aren't asking him to fix it before they put him on the field, which I'm pretty worried about. Those are the two ways. So I, I'm not loving that, although he's going to play to the inside, so he's not really competing with those two guys, um, or he, that's where he's been taking a lot of first-team reps. But also on the on first-team inside reps, you got like Josh Metellus. You've had um, 
I think Joan Williams has been in. Here's the deal. He started as the first team outside corner. He got kind of beat right away. Um, and he's not running with them anymore. That's usually the sign of a guy that's like the veteran that won't make the team. Um, so I, I don't know if Joan Williams will be on the roster at all. I think if he is, that's a win for him. Uh, considering how things ended it with the Patriots, go listen to his story time episode. And then you've got what? Kalon Barnes, Tay Gowan, futures contracts, guys. Those are roster long shots. Just make the team that's a win for them. Same with Jalen Williams, Najee Thompson. Um, those guys in the the undrafted CJ Colden, I think, is the other undrafted guy. Uh, and then that leaves you with Jay Ward, who a lot of people will call a safety. Um, I'm gonna call him a nickel, but it's a it's a meaningless distinction. He's uh, an outside defensive back that plays as the apex a lot, second guy in. So depending on the offensive formation, that could mean he's on a receiver, that could mean he's on a running back, that could mean he's backing off to safety depending on the coverage. It's all sort of relative. But all of that is moot if, if he's not ready to play, and I'm not sure he's ready to play. I don't think I trust it. So I think there's your, your DB room overview if that's what you're looking for. Uh, the next one comes from Nate Walton who asks, since the Stefanski-Gary Kubiak days through KOC, the Vikings have gone through a ton of zone-run offenses from the same family. Do you have a preference for which branch you liked the most, found the most interesting, or wish we could have stuck with? No, I do not have a preference. I think these are all sort of different flavors of the same ice cream, like you said. Um, but here's what I will say. They all definitely have their place in time, and the NFL is an ever-shifting meta. In 2019, the McVeigh and the Kubiak versions were better because the idea of zone running to the outside and then bootlegging off of it was something that defenses were not set up to handle big history lesson okay so let's go all the way back to the 2013 season the seattle seahawks winning the super bowl right legion of boom that whole thing they had a great secondary and all that but what they did was they played a lot of spot cover three right um go back even further the coverage du jour in the 2000s was tampa two uh cover two with guys playing to the outside, being able to cheat further to the outside because in the middle, you would have a Mike linebacker that dropped a little bit deeper. So anything that, that goes deep over the middle is actually his job. And then the receiver or the, the safeties go to the outside. That sounds a lot like cover three. There's actually a really great Brett Coleman video that just got, came out about this. Doesn't that sound kind of like cover three? You've got a deep mi middle zone and then deep half zones that are going to the outside. Why don't we just make them deep outside zones? Call this what it is. And it's cover three now. And let's put a defensive back in that deep zone so that you can't run the, you know, the way that teams started beating this Tampa two. If you remember like the Patriots with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez before the stuff, um, you know, fast tight end would be able to outrun that Mike, or you would have a, a slot on the inside that could outrun that Mike linebacker run all the way up the field. The safeties are, are clearing out somewhere else. So you could get big plays. So, the way that Pete Carroll did this was, well, let's just do this for one. We won't have two safeties on the roof. We'll just have our two corners play the outside zones. We'll have a safety over the top. That's Earl Thomas. And then we can have our Cam Chancellor in the box, right? Uh, that was, there's your cover three that we kind of know and love now. Um, that was dominating the league up until 2017, 2018, when Sean McVay took over the Rams. There was this big shift that I think he kind of led I mean, look, Gary Kubiak was having lots of offensive success throughout this whole time because that cover three world has, if you do the math, has an underneath zone on the sideline and a, and a deep zone on the sideline. So if you send three, if you flood that, you send three routes to the sideline, somebody's going to be in conflict. There's more routes than they have defenders. You're going to get somebody open. 
If you then pair that with a run fake to the other side of the field, you're going to get people running out that way, and you're not going to be able to have a linebacker that gets really smart and runs over and fixes the problem, or a safety that gets really smart and runs over and fixes the problem. Um, that is essentially the thesis of the 2018 Rams that went to the Super Bowl, um, and in particular the way that they beat up on Mike Zimmer's team that year. Uh, if you remember that Thursday night game, that was actually a really, really big game, not just for the Vikings, who were sent back to the drawing board. And Zimmer came out with a totally different version of his defense that is essentially uh, the the bones of which were essentially what it was up until the end for him. Um, but the whole league got sent back to the drawing board after that. You know, they watched, holy crap, they got Cooper Cup on a linebacker, on a 250-pound linebacker. How did that happen? You know, they've got all these runaway touchdowns. And... The whole league started at that moment to shift away from this cover three and start to go to more man match or zone match or things that were a little bit more flexible and dynamic. And we're currently defensively in the league in a very diverse chapter where, you know, usually in the evolution of defenses, one dominates and starts to kind of eat up all the other teams. Well, we kind of had this Fangio thing and now we're going back to summer man coverage and some teams never went off the Nick Saban stuff. And, you know, that's where we're at. Um, So that's defensively. Gary Kubiak, when things were cover three, was awesome. Sean McVay, when things were cover three, was awesome. Um, The other thing about it is when you're doing it that way and you have your cam chancellor in the box, that helps you against the run. And so run faking away from that can help take that advantage away, and then there's other more complicated stuff uh, for that reason. Right now, the Shanahan version is doing very well because defenses what they a lot of them have in common is that they have prioritized speed. Hey, if you're going to try to run outside zone all the time, all of our guys are fast enough to get to the sideline, you'll never get a yard off of it, and your run game will suck. Um, and offenses that were based on speed for a long time, you know, over routes and, and deep floods and, um, you know, outside zone screens, tosses, all this stuff that requires a lot of speed, defense is adapted by also prioritizing speed. Big, slow, old school linebackers like Chad Greenway, not necessarily as in vogue, or Jasper Brinkley, maybe that's a better example. Jasper Brinkley kind of was a relic by the time he was in Minnesota because all these other defenses were uh, starting to come up against these zones. Um, or Ben Gideon is, is a better, he was kind of a relic, right? And then he had his concussion thing. Um, but defenses are getting faster. And when they get faster, they get smaller. So now the thing du jour is big dude punch you in the mouth. This is why the Lions are going to be successful. And this is why they were successful offensively last year. Because they got big dudes, they can punch you in the mouth. 49ers have big dudes that can punch you in the mouth. Vikings are going for big dudes, and they are not the only team. Packers are making this kind of thing. I think they drafted two tight ends this year, right? Um, A lot of these teams are going big dudes. That's the Shanahan version. So that's your basic thing. It it depends on the meta. It depends on what defenses you think you're going to see. You're going to see fast defenses, small defenses, cover two, cover three, cover four, man, blitz-heavy defenses. What do you think is in the league right now? And what's popular, and how do you counter that? That's where all those different flavors come in handy. Um, okay. That was a a crazy long winded answer. I hope that was fun. Uh, I I do definitely want to get to the other questions that I have so far. However, let me talk to you first about America's number one sports book. It is FanDuel. FanDuel is the best place to get yourself a Gramblin. 
It is safe, secure, and very easy to use. Uh, it pays out instantly when you win, and they have all kinds of really dope promotions going on on that website all the time. So go to FanDuel.com or, or the FanDuel app frequently to see if you can catch a pretty good deal. If you're new, go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up, and uh, you will be able to get a no-sweat first bet, up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you make your first bet and you whiff. Uh, you can bet on whatever. You can bet on a lot of stuff in the NFL, even. You can bet on futures. Will the Vikings get over under eight and a half wins? Who will win the NFC North? Lions are favored right now. If you think the Vikings are going to win, if you think the Lions shouldn't be favored, go gramble on it at FanDuel.com. And if you're new, go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. And if you whiff on that bet, you could get up to a hundred, up to $1,000 in bonus bets back. And so it's no sweat if you whiff. That's why it's a no sweat first bet at FanDuel. Make every moment more. Moving on with this Twitter Tuesday episode of the Locked on Vikings podcast. Thank you all so much for those of you who ask questions all the time and, and listen every single day. My hashtag everydayers, I love you. Uh, the next one comes from Shadow Flame, who asks, what strategies do you think Flores will implement to counter each of the different NFC North offenses? Okay, this is great. This is on the same kind of track. So um, the answer to this, probably different for the Packers, than it is for the Lions. The Lions are a gap scheme. Their power counter pullers, um, you know, Penny Sewell getting out there, Frank, Frank Ragnow even getting out there sometimes, which is crazy. Um, that leads to... So when you have a puller, and uh, in, in this is a run game, right? Imagine your offensive line and one of the linemen, say you're running to the left, your, your right guard, so a backside lineman, will pull out of the formation and lead block, uh, generally, or maybe kick out block or whatever. But he'll, he'll be out there getting into space. And the idea is to get an, a numbers advantage. If you cut the play in half down the center and count as many people as you have on the left side versus people on the right side, and then for the defense, the defense is going to make those numbers even. But if you take a guy on the right side of your formation and move him over to the left, you have now created an advantage. You're now minus one on the right side and plus one on the left side. You run to the left side. You run to your plus one side. doesn't matter. That's your minus one on the right side. The run ain't going over there. That's the point of power, right? And so you can get a double team on some of the scariest guys, depending on, on the way you run it. Put a lead blocker over there too. You get another extra guy. Um, all of that stuff can get really fun. And you essentially, it becomes a play of, I've got bigger, meaner guys than you, and I can kind of punch you in the mouth and run run over you. Eight, nine yards a pop. You want to watch this, this work to perfection, watch uh, Vikings at Lions last year. To counter that, my favorite way is with pulkies, which are if you have particularly fast get off defensive linemen, um, and I don't think the Vikings have this great, so I don't know if this is going to be the case. There are other ways to do it, but my favorite way is pulkies. So if, if that right guard is going to pull out of his gap and go, usually the right tackle's job will be to protect the B gap, protect that gap. So his job is going to be to sort of, if anybody's going to come up and follow that guard, you got to cut that off kind of a hard job. And so if I've got someone lined up, head up, say a two technique, two eye on that guard, on that right guard, and he comes out and pulls, I'm telling my guy, hey, if you see him pulling, just shoot the gap, get in the backfield, go wreak havoc. Um, I particularly like that. It's difficult. It's a hard read to do. It requires a lot of get off and you need elite players. This is your, if you have Aaron Donald kind of deal. I, Aaron, Aaron Donald isn't the only guy in the whole world that can do it. He's certainly one of them though. For who the Vikings have, I think it's more about spill and kill. Um, basically, when you have that that puller that comes around, 
just shift the gap over one. And now instead of a way to think about it, instead of drawing the two sides of the play at the center, draw the two sides of the play at the left guard. Now the numbers are the same again. Um, and, and everything kind of shifts over one. And the problem is everybody's got to shift over one and that can be difficult. So everybody take the inside part of your gap and we'll just kind of keep taking, making it so that the running back doesn't have a gap to go through. He's got to go to the next one over the next one over the next one over the next one over, um, power and counter and stuff. Doesn't, they don't tend to have like bounce reads in the way that outside zone does. Um, they're more about just follow your lead blocker. So spill the run to the outside, just keep getting them to the outside. And then eventually your defensive backs can come down and attack it. Right. The Vikings were pretty bad at that last year, uh, and I think if they can get better than, at it, then that is the answer to the Lions. That'll be difficult. Um, the answer to the Bears is a little different. I don't know what they're going to do in the run game, honestly. Uh, I, I guess I'll just default to assuming zone until I see them do something else, but I genuinely I don't, I don't know what they're planning. Uh, but it's really about contain with Justin Fields, and can we blitz him? That's the Flores thing. Uh, Justin Fields, known for holding the ball too long, even after accounting for the fact that there's a lot of rollouts and plays where you're supposed to hold it for a long time. Um, but he can be slow with it. He can be kind of sticky with it. Uh, send him a bunch of guys and see if he makes mistakes. And hey, if he gets out of that and he runs around, he scrambles and he does your thing, you're probably going to be easier to keep contained if you got more guys plugging gaps, right? And it just kind of becomes like a run play. Uh, so that's the answer with the Bears a little simpler Mostly because uh, past stuff to me, past defense is simpler than run defense to me. That might be a crazy take, but I think past defense is simpler to understand than run defense can get like super mind boggling. And then with the Packers, again, it's like, I don't really know the nature of that offense because I don't know what they're going to do with Jordan Love. But if they're going to go the same way, we're going with the offense with a lot of um, lead blockers and stuff. It's sort of the same thing. Spill and kill, be gap sound. And um Guys like Jordan Hicks will be important to this. I know that sounds crazy. Nobody's excited about Jordan Hicks, but guys like Jordan Hicks will be important to um, taking out lead blockers. If you are sending Josiah DeGuara in, in front, I want Jordan Hicks to be the guy breaking that down. And maybe Asamoah on the backside of runs, uh, trying to be the guy that does the pull key and, and shoots the gap and tries to get in the backfield and wreak havoc. Uh, or... You know, he's the guy that's maybe pursuing and being the kill part of spill and kill. Maybe he gets the tackles and stuff. But Jordan Hicks carries an important role there. And then you need edges that can set the edge. So here's to hoping Daniel Hunter's around. That would be my answer. That's a a, a tough question. Um, I I will go quickly into the school actuary question. If rookie contracts were shorter, say one year for all but a second year option, uh, for first round picks, how would that shake up the NFL dynamics? That would probably be a very good thing for NFL players. Um, it would make draft picks far less valuable. So you would not, I mean, you would be, you would see instead of Zadarius Smith going for a fifth, he'd go for a first, right? Or a second, because you get so much less team control that that asset becomes kind of a crappy asset that you're pretty willing to dump off for a proven player. Um, You'd be less stuck with it. It would change the quarterback thing a lot, I think. You'd probably see teams a little more willing to take a quarterback, even if they already have an okay one. Uh, because you don't, if you draft a, a quarterback in the first round, you kind of have to stick with that guy and see if he develops. You just invested quite a bit into him, and giving up on him too early can be bad. Uh, but in reality, good players get paid faster, bad players get cut faster. That's going to be the way it is. And ultimately, I think that that, you know, bad players get a chance at free agency to control their own destiny. Um, I think that will ultimately be better for players 
a truer meritocracy, that kind of stuff. You won't have somebody like the best receiver in the league making, you know, 30th most money because he's on a rookie contract, which was Justin Jefferson last year. I've got a couple more questions that I want to get into here. So I'll make sure that I get to at least uh, two of them, hopefully, here on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. Home stretch here of the Lockdown Vikings podcast, Twitter Tuesday, pre recorded long form Twitter Tuesday here. Hopefully, st- some of this is still topical. <laughs> uh, Sports Guy 709 says, What starting offensive lineman based on last year is most vulnerable to losing their starting job in camp? Uh, this was sort of, we did this on the Minnesota football party last week, it was like, Who are the weak links on the offensive line? Based on last year, I don't know what, I mean, I don't know why you would only base it on last year. I think it's, I mean, it's Ed Ingram, right? Like it has to be. It's what's interesting is who is the guy that challenges it? Because there's nobody really on the roster that's different. It's the same guys, guys that were the backup last year. Austin Schlopman, Chris Reed, I guess Blake Brandell's moving into guard a little bit. Um, Those guys aren't serious challengers, really. Uh, But I guess if one has to be considered a little serious, it's probably Chris Reed. Um, there was some talk of Austin Schlotman te- technically maybe being a, a a usurper to Garrett Bradbury. That was never taken seriously. You never got a first-team rep. So I don't think that that's going to be the case. Like, if that were going to be the case, it would have been the case last year. Uh, Ed Ingram has a year of being poor. And if he continues to be poor, if there's no improvement, uh, which I think there was some improvement over the year that is hard to notice because it happened at the end. But let's say that that you know is all fake and I'm wrong and that he still sucks, then I guess he'd be benched for like Chris Reed. So it's probably Ed Ingram. Mark asks, what, how much impact does the quarterback have on sacks and pressures? This is a very good question, especially if you don't already know the answer to it. The answer is quite a bit. Um, it's there, there is a lot. So if you think about the most rudimentary idea of like a sack, offensive lineman gets beat quarterback gets tackled before he can throw the ball, right on the offensive lineman, you're yelling at the lineman. You want to bench the lineman. So here is the way in which, quarterbacks have uh impact on that process a they can hold the ball too long it's a very subjective thing that's difficult to measure how long you're supposed to hold the ball is very different depending on the play the drop back depth right ball should be out quicker on a three-step drop versus a seven-step drop and on a seven-step drop it's a little easier for the linemen they have a little more room to work with on a three-step drop the quarterback's right in front of the lineman you can't get beat at all on a seven-step drop you can get beat but the quarterback's a little further back, so there's a little time for you to maybe get your hips flipped and move that guy, recover. There's a little bit, it's a, it's more forgiving. But you also have to last a little bit longer, so it's a different system. Um, that's not necessarily in the QB's control, but it's part of the system worth mentioning. The quarterback can move in the pocket, right? And in that way, he can affect, he can get rid of a pressure. He can also create a pressure if he moves to a spot that isn't as good if you've got you know the lineman in front of you and he's blocking someone and you get panicky and you move off his spot this happens with college qbs all the time um you know and if you if you drift out now suddenly that lineman can't block the guy because you just put your ass right in front of him and now he's gonna go get you that's on you as the quarterback um he also has an effect on things from a pre-snap level ultimately the quarterback it's his ass right he's the one getting hurt uh so he gets to set the protection at least that's the way it works in minnesota um the center sets the protection, but the quarterback gets veto power, basically. Uh, that's that's the way it works with, with Cousins and Bradbury. And that's the way that Cousins says it is, hey, it's, you know, it's, it's me. I, I'm the one whose body is on the line here. 
So if I say we're going to change a protection, that becomes a law. That's the hierarchy. So he could change the protection and have an impact on pressures and sacks that way. There's also pressure to sack conversion, which is very much a QB stat, right? If a guy comes into the pocket and it's a pressure, can I get rid of the ball and keep it just a pressure? Or does it turn into a sack because I'm a statue? Can I run around and avoid that, right? Um, those are the ways, I guess, in which quarterbacks um, impact pressures and sacks. It's a huge impact. That's massive. You can have the worst rep of your life and the quarterback can make it not matter. And I mean, Zadarius Smith was on the wrong end of this a whole bunch last year. He would absolutely dust a guy, just destroy him, embarrass him. Ball was out immediately because the coverage on the back end didn't hold up. And then people are talking about him having a down year somehow, um, which is hilarious, like pro bowler, like <laughs> deserving pro bowler Zadarius Smith having a down year. Very funny. Um, good luck in Cleveland, man. I hope, he, I hope he proves those guys astronomically wrong. <laughs> So how much impact? Qu quite a bit of impact is the answer. Um, last one that I'm going to do here comes from Jack, who asks, from your perspective, should the Vikings get away from their hyperfixation on value? This was a prior regime issue, too. When we sign our players to contracts, they end up quite underpaid and hence disgruntled. Are the savings worth it? Uh, this is very specifically a Daniil Hunter question. Um, I guess it's a Zedaria Smith question, too, but everything else... Like I think of the other, like Stefan Diggs, it had nothing to do with money. Uh, with like I'm trying to think of other situations, like Mackenzie Alexander was disgruntled. That had not that had to do with him playing in a meaningless game when he felt like he shouldn't have had to because he's a starter, and then he got hurt in that game. So, yeah, I, I think um, you're probably overrating the impact of this problem. That said, though, yeah, they agreed to a deal of Daniil Hunter. They got what four or five good years out of him um after sign yeah 2018 counts yeah so five good years of out of him uh at an incredibly discounted rate and now that is kind of coming back to bite them as they want to give him more money but the punish there is that you just have to give daniel hunter more money that's not necessarily an issue that's just okay well we could have been giving him a lot of money the whole time or we can go five years without giving him a lot of money, and now we'll give him a lot of money, and we only are giving him a lot of money at the end here. This is strictly better. So I don't think that that's a problem in that way. The problem is, if they aren't willing to give him a lot of money now, that's sort of its own mistake. And that would be something that I disagree with quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think that the value thing is that... Now, there is a something... I'm going to speak out of turn a little bit here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a little bit of something with like old Timberwolves teams. They're a little bit more aggressive with the Chris Finch thing, but the old Timberwolves teams that would kind of be a farm league or a farm team, you know, they would have these good players, these Kevin Love type players, and then they would be super, but you could get a lot of picks for them, you know, and you would trade Kevin Love for a whole bunch of players and none of those players are good and you just made your team worse. Um, Again, apologies if I'm, I'm speaking about the Kevin Love trade incorrectly because I'm totally speaking out of turn. But as an example, right, you have a basketball team, you have a really good player, you trade that player. Hey, I traded one player for four. Did I win the trade? Not if all those guys are just kind of nobody and they don't impact your franchise the way that Kevin Love would have. Um, so that can be the value-pilled thing you can be a little bit too worried about. And I do think that there are teams, I think the Lions have been making this mistake a little bit. And I think it's going to cause them to bump their head on a bit of a ceiling here as, they, as their build sort of peaks. Uh, the TJ Hawkinson trade, 
was kind of my whole point with the TJ Hawkinson trade and the Matt Stafford trade with them is that they prioritized value over being good. And the point is not to be the most profitable uh, asset wise. The point is to build the best team. And hey, the former is a great avenue to the latter, but it should not be the end goal. It's the means to the end. Uh, and it's important to keep that straight. So I get what you're saying. Um, but I think with Daniil Hunter in particular, that's not the worst. With Sedarius Smith, it's like the, giving him a small deal in the first place wasn't that big of a deal. The punish there is if he's mad, you have to pay him a little more on the other end of it. But you still could have. And refusing to is what I think the mistake would be. And that's that's the, the criticism that I have of that move. And, and if, if they don't pay Daniil Hunter, that's the criticism I have of that as well. Not necessarily the profitable thing that got you into that situation, the unprofitable thing that you're doing in reaction to that situation. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Um, tomorrow's probably every man series stuff. I don't know. I'm still pre-recording these, so we'll see what I get into, what kind of trouble we all get into. Uh, I will talk to you all tomorrow, though. Oh, hey, is it the 4th of July today? I think it is. Happy 4th. And as always, skull. <laughs>